least, and be on the way, baby, on the sound system. But I, yeah, good to be here. I'm so excited about this series we're doing on weekday calling, and the fact that God has a calling for every one of us that is bigger than just our so-called spiritual life or our church life. But it's all of our life. It includes our jobs, our studies, our relationships, our families, volunteering in the community. There's a calling for each and every one of us. And the thing Rob just mentioned, that there's oftentimes that we feel this tension between work and other aspects of our life. It's what's known as the work-life balance. And so today we're going to break down, hey, how does God want us to, want to approach that? And really we're talking about balancing our paid work and the rest of life. So we're going to look at, there's work that you get paid for, and there's also important work that you don't get paid for, and how do we balance all of that together? And the best part of this morning is the fact that Reagan, my wife, who has a lot more insight into all this than I do, is actually going to share some of her insights too, especially from the perspective of being a mother, and, or, as, as we talked, or as someone who has devoted a lot of her time to her family and raising children. We talked about last week, domestic engineers is one way to look at that. Um, so she's going to share some of the insights about that. But there's, just, there's a lot of tension between our jobs, which if you're a student, then school is, is your job, and you may have another job as well, um, and the rest of life, our family, friendships, serving in the community, our health, uh, relaxing, that's an important part of life too, right? And so this, for these, these four weeks, we're talking a lot about valuing our jobs and that God has a purpose in different jobs, and that's something to do for his glory. Um, but oftentimes it feels like we're competing with the rest of our life, or that one aspect of life is competing with other aspects. How many of you ever feel that way? Or how many of you often feel that way? Yeah, okay. I think it's very, very common. Um, if you feel unbalanced, overburdened, maybe even crazy, the good news is you're not alone. Uh, this is very common. It's, it's part of life. And I think it's especially common in, in modern life. There's some of the aspects of modern life today that make it even more of a, of a challenge. If you think about 100 years ago, where a majority of people lived in a more rural environment, or a lot of people lived in either an agricultural setting or more home-based businesses, there was a greater sense of their life having a cohesive whole, where you're, you were working on the farm and your family was in that together. And you were probably in a smaller community and probably the neighbors that you interacted with and did business with, you probably were part of the same church or the same faith community as well. And there was a greater sense of cohesion to life that today we, op- we tend to be much more fragmented and segmented in our lives that makes it, makes it a lot more challenging. Um, there's a, I read a quote recently from a, a chief executive of a multi-billion dollar company. And he put it this way. He said, I just felt that no matter what I was doing, I was always getting pulled somewhere else. It seemed like I was always cheating someone. My company, my family, myself. I couldn't truly focus on anything. And, and I know I feel that way a lot. A lot of times there's the old analogy, like Rob said, the cliches and the analogies, they're, they're familiar for a reason. And there's the analogy of spinning plates, right? That your life is like spinning plates. And you've got like your studies is one plate you're trying to keep spinning. And then your friendships is another plate. And then church and your relationship with God is another plate. And trying to make a difference in the community. And you've got all these, all these different plates. And your job or your school, it probably may, feels like a ten plates right there that you're trying to keep spinning all the time. And that's this, this, this trying to keep life in balance and trying to keep it going. And it's, it's overwhelming. 
And I think it really, that's not the picture of what God wants our lives to be like. But follow me here. Hang with me. This, this may be a little weird. But really, I think it's more like this. God wants your life to be more like a flying saucer. Take all those spinning plates and combine them into one big plate that's a flying saucer. And it's hovering and it's moving around the universe. And it's not because you're spinning it and you're trying to keep it going all the time. But it's because there's this mysterious force from this other dimension that we don't know where it's coming from. But there's this, a force beyond you that is lifting you up. And that saucer, that plate, doesn't even have to spin. And we don't have to keep it spinning through our own sheer willpower and effort because God wants to bring His life into us and to raise us up in a way that every area of our life is, is floating in that sense. That He is moving it around with a greater force and unity and trajectory than, than we could ever have. And so, that's what God, the way God wants us to live. But they're really what wars against us living that way is not so much all the pressures of modern life, but what really is behind it is false belief systems that we have. That when we feel unbalanced and overburdened, stressed out, it's not really external factors. It's ultimately not even how much we're working, although that's a factor, but behind all of it is what's going on in our souls. And the reason we feel unbalanced is because we're looking to something else as the center of our life. And we're seeking, we're, we're taking good things, but maybe giving, like, like our job, or relaxing, or, or church, and, but we're, we're, they're not in the proper perspective, the proper alignment of where God wants them to be. Um, and if our beliefs, if what's driving us on the inside, if that's out of whack, then our whole lives are going to be out of whack. And I want to just quickly go through, before Reagan comes up, and then before I come up again, um, five different harmful, soul-destroying beliefs that are really common in our culture, and that all of us face in different ways. And most of us are more prone to some of these than others, but they're so pervasive, and it's essential to identify them and recognize them as harmful so that we can replace them with the way God wants us to think. So the first harmful belief that's so common is living for the weekend. Man, how many people in our world are living for the weekend? They're going through their work week or school, and like that's just like a necessary evil. And I have to do this because if I don't, I'll starve. And that's just, I have to. But really what I'm living for is when when I'm not working, and I can just do what I want to do. I can have fun, I can go out and party, or whatever it looks like, I'm living for the weekend. And really, even the term work-life balance kind of falls into this false belief system, because it implies that there's work on one hand, and there's life on the other hand. And work isn't life. Work is something different that you have to do, but real life is over here in the rest of your life. And that's totally contradictory to how God wants us to see it, that our work is an essential part of life. Work is not a result of, of sin. It's not a result of the curse or the broken world. God, when God first made Adam and Eve, he gave them work to do. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and bring my, bring my ways into, into the whole world. He gave them a job. And that's the, that's the approach God wants us to see. And that's what's known as the, the creation mandate. And so... 
work, God wants us to see our work as good, and the same principles that bring life in the other aspects of our life bring life into our jobs as well. So that's the first one. The second false belief is that life equals money and possessions. Or, as it's colloquially said, the one with the most toys wins. That's what life's all about. If you just get enough money, if you get enough things, then that's where life is at. And, you know, most of us, if someone would say, are you, is your philosophy of life materialism? Do you believe that your life is equated with how much money you have? Most people would say, no, I don't believe that. But that belief system drives our lives so much, and it drives our culture so much. Um, it's kind of the underlying assumption of, of a lot of our culture. Jesus spoke directly to this in Luke 12, 15. And, and it, I read here, it says, He said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. That means coveting what you don't have. Which really, our whole economy, or a lot of our economy, is built on coveting. It's built on advertising, and oh, this is a product you need that you don't have, and someone else has it. So you really, if you just got that thing, then you'd be happy. If you, it's really interesting if you study commercials. They're not really selling the products. They're selling the emotional state that you will have if you get this product. It'll make you happy. It'll give you friends. It'll make your life joyful. It's, that's really what it's selling. So, um, but Jesus said, no, life is much more. It's beyond your guardian's covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. A third false belief is that my value is found in my career. This is a, this is a really big one. It's maybe not quite as obvious as the last one. But it's so easy to, to, to think that for me to have value, then I must have a certain kind of job. I must have a certain kind of career. And I must have the sort of job and career that gives me status, that other people approve of, that makes me feel good about myself because this is what I'm doing. Um, really, that's what this is about. It's about the desire for power and, and status. And... Uh, you know, this is, Jesus spoke directly to this as well in Matthew 10.39. He said, if you cling to your life, if you're searching for, for power and status, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. We're going to kind of come back to this more. Later I'm going to talk more about the right beliefs God wants us to have. Another false belief is just follow your passion. It's like, how do you know what you're supposed to do with your life? Well, whatever you're passionate about, that's what you should do. Now, you wouldn't believe, I mean, you would believe because you know them too. But there are so many young men I know who their goal in life is to make a living playing video games. And they can, like, justify, like, you know, there are people making hundreds of thousands of dollars playing video games. And why not me? Like, this is what I'm most passionate about. But the reality is, for every one person making a good living playing video games, there are a thousand dudes living in their parents' basement at age 30 still playing video games because they never found something really worth giving their life to. And um, this is, you know, really, this is, uh, what I'm speaking to here is, yes, money is not what it's all about, but money is an important consideration that we should be looking at. What job can I do that provides for my needs and also gives me something to bless other people with? Um, that's, that's an important principle. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote about this in Galatians 6, and this was my, my farmer grandfather's favorite verse. Um, he, Paul wrote this, he said, For even when, you were, when we were with you, we gave you this rule, 
The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. You don't work, you don't eat. And that's kind of like just basic common sense, but if you think about that, what that's saying is that what you are giving yourself to with your life, that there should be something of value that people are willing to pay for it. Like, how do you know it's valuable? Well, if, if people are willing to pay money for it, there's, there's a good chance that there's some value to it. And so there is a, an economic consideration that comes into this, this, whole, this whole picture. And then the last one is that kind of the important to go along with that. The size of your paycheck, this is a false belief, is that the size of your paycheck is the value of your work. That while we need to consider the economics, there's more than economics. And there are a whole lot of important jobs that don't pay as well as other jobs, but that doesn't mean they're not as important. Or there are important things that you're called to as part of your life, but there's no paycheck for it, and it's important to realize that that doesn't mean it's not important. You know, there are a lot of people that make really good money selling drugs. That doesn't, you know, that you can't equate the value of the power, the, yeah, the size of a paycheck, with the value of your work. That's it's not it's not perfect. Um, so you know, if you're a student, then an investment, studying, being in school is really there's not a paycheck usually that comes with that. It's the opposite. You're paying for this right to be a slave to the school system for a while. But it's, it's actually an investment in the skills that you're getting in future work. Um, other volunteer work, it's, man, it can be incredibly valuable, but you don't get paid. And what Reagan's going to talk about especially is work in the home, work in the family. Like that's about as, probably as important as anything else that we do. But it doesn't get the accolades, it doesn't get the paycheck. And there's this whole thing in a, in a community, of, in a society of social capital that comes through these way we give of ourselves, the way we work and invest our lives in people that doesn't come with a paycheck, that really matters. And you know, it's amazing, as, as even I think the centrality of the family has, has eroded in our culture, um, there are consequences of that that are hard to measure. But as, people, as kids grow up with less stable families, with less, less nurturing, um, there are things like I've, I talked to professors at K-State I've heard this increasingly over the years that say, you know, the level of stress that students can handle today is a lot less than it was when I started in the business 20 years ago. There's just, there's not the same ability. And I think there's that social capital. And the, the counseling services will say, hey, a lot of the things that people are coming for counseling today, it's their things that they didn't, they were able to figure them out themselves in the past. But there's, and that's not like a, shame on you, like on anybody, but it's just, man, it's, it, there's a sadness that there's something that hasn't been deposited in people's lives, in other social environments, that there is an economic and a real consequence for that. And so, I'm going to toss it over to Reagan here and let her talk about some of that. Yeah. All right. Okay, well, I'm going to talk about the challenges and then the right approach to non-paid work. So I'm going to talk about the three things that um, I was challenged with. No pay, no affirmation, and no obvious accomplishment. But first I want to let you know a little bit about my childhood, which can explain a little bit about the struggles that I dealt with. Um, some of you know I lived in London my high school years, and my dad um, is an architect, and he worked with an um, international firm, 
And the high school I went to, um, the American School in London, was very posh, very wealthy. The neighborhood I lived in, we were like the poor people in the rich surroundings. So my normal was um, just very extreme. Like it was the international travel, just incredible wealth. Um, like the normal car was like a BMW. It wasn't like the Toyota Camry. So that's, um, so I thought that was like what my life was going to be like. Of course, that's like a wonderful life. <laughs> of course, I had no like plan on how to get there. I just assumed, of course, that will happen to me. Like that's my surroundings. That's how my life will be too. So um, I went to college, studied French, like had no real plan how I was going to make millions studying French, but just assumed, of course I will. And then got married um, to Jonathan and then immediately had babies. Like six months later, was pregnant. I mean, we came into our marriage. I had like my Toyota Corolla and Jonathan had his Cutco knife set. And those were like our assets coming into marriage. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had babies, we were raising support, like how are we going to pay our bills, and so my life was not how I imagined it. And so, um, so my journey, um, I'll let you know about my journey, so no pay. So in non-paid work, you obviously have no pay. And my value system was your pay is directly proportional to your value. So if you get no pay, then that means you have no value. And it was like this subtle lie that I didn't know was there, but it was very hard to be a mom at, at home living under that lie that, well, actually I have no value because I have no pay, right? Isn't that like logical? But I was in torment. Um, so the right approach to having a non-paid job was... I had to learn um, that, okay, this life I'm living is, is a covenant with my husband. It's not commerce. And I think um, there's a big difference. Like a covenant is two people coming and being a team. Your life is based on promise. It's based on um, like a mutual working together towards something. But in my mind, like I had... Um, I had classified motherhood as like a goods to be traded. Like there's, you put a price on motherhood, you put a price on children, and um, it's a commodity. And so I must be paid for this commodity, but I'm not being paid for this commodity. So this commodity must not be good. And do you see like, so... Um, so I had to learn what God's economy was. Like, God sees it as invaluable, as, like, higher than a price. Like, I had reduced it to a price, but God was teaching me that children, people, motherhood has an invaluable price. You can't put, um, you can't, like, estimate what it's worth because it's, you can, you know? Um... I also, like, didn't value weakness. Like, in my mind, like, children were weak, and, like, that's not successful, right, to be with weak people. But it was... <laughs> I know. It's, it's Actually, I'm really embarrassed, like, exposing my, like, evil up here. <laughs> but... Um, so it was, like, learning what does God value more than the world, and 
it was shocking how, like, m how these thoughts were so in me. And it was actually very good for me to be challenged with these lies that I was believing. Okay, so um, the second one, so first was no pay. The second one was no affirmation. So the challenge is no one sees. I have no boss. Is I'm doing okay during the day, or am I just a disaster? I have no idea because there's not somebody telling me, yeah, you're doing a good job. No, like, correct that, or you can do this. Um, there's no bonuses if you're doing a good job. So, like, I don't know. Like, will my children be complete mess-ups? Because I, I really have no idea. Um, so there's no congratulations, nobody telling me what to do during the day. So there's all this freedom, which is great, because actually I would hate being under a boss. <laughs> like the idea of like having goals, like go into fetal position. I'm like, I don't want to make goals. <laughs> but that's me. That's my... <clears throat> so there's all this freedom. So what's the right approach to no affirmation in this non-paid job? So I had to learn how to have self-government. I had to learn, like, I'm my boss. Like, I determine what to do with my day. And that sounds, like, really fabulous, but it's actually quite challenging. When you have, like, little babies and, okay, like, it's more, like, you can get, like, under it. Like, they determine my life and they determine my schedule. And so what does that mean? It's more, so I had to learn, like, God sees God knows, he, he sees the value in what I'm doing, so I have to live more on the offense. Like, I have to have self-government. I determine what to do under God's lordship. Okay, Jesus, what do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to spend time with? Um, like, learning, like, to confess scriptures. Like, no, I am valuable. My work is valuable. This is, like... Um, a God-given thing, and I love, God, what you love. So teach me how to love what you love, because I don't love it right now, but I want, like, my heart to change so that I love what you love. So it was really being on the offense and not letting the circumstances determine, like, how I'm going to live my life. Um, let's see, anything else? And some of that is learning how to be content. Like, okay, this isn't what I determined my life to look like, but I'm going to learn to be content because God is good. Um, so part of that was like initiating playgroups, initiating book clubs, initiating people coming over, um, and like just being more like initiate, initiative and not like waiting for something to happen, but like learning even though life is crazy, I'm going to do something about it. Okay, the third um, challenge was no obvious accomplishments. And... Um, I, so having kids, like at the end of the day, you're exhausted and you have no idea, what did I just do? Like, I don't know. I can't like point to these things. It really is, we lived. Like that was the accomplishment. <laughs> We're alive. <laughs> My children are still alive. Um, like the day is full, but you know, like it's just difficult because people ask, oh, how was your day? What'd you do? I don't know. Like, but I feel so lame that I don't know what I did today. Um, so the lie was, like, you have to be busy to be important. Like, you know, I think I grew up, like, in the 80s, like, the busy businesswoman, you know. She was busy and important. And you kind of, like, get into that lie. Like, I have to be busy. People need me. You know, I have to go here and there. At least that's what <laughs> I wanted. Um, so the right approach was 
okay, I'm going to live on this offense. I'm going to hear what God tells me to do each week. So that means I'm going to make a schedule. And it was like a pathetic schedule. It was like, Tuesday, I'm going to go grocery shopping. Thursday, I'm going to attempt to vacuum the house. Like Friday, I'll try to have somebody over. That was like my week. And I had little babies at home, you know. They grew older, I was homeschooling, had more babies. So those were like grand, grand accomplishments. But then like you have to learn, okay, I'm going to have my schedule, but I'm also going to be flexible. So like it's this, you know, balance of both of those things because kids are unpredictable. So like what if they get sick? So I'm not going to have somebody over at my house. And I was looking forward to adult conversation, but now like I have to learn, okay, there's in the grand economy that God has designed, like not being busy is okay. Like sitting with my sick child and reading or snuggling, like that's good. And um, like God has a different time. Like he thinks about time differently. And it's interesting, like cultures have a different view of time. Like the Chinese have like a very long-term view of time and like we have a very like short unit sort of way of looking at time. So I had to like think in a longer goal way of like time, like this is a long-term life and like I can't live, I can't find value in just what happened today. I have to know that God sees the whole life and that has value. So snuggling and reading and not being busy, busy, busy is good. Like it's a good thing. So um, my life is different, but it's better. It's much better. Like I'm so thankful. Like when we were praying, you know, I appreciate John what you said. Like I'm in a place of thankfulness. God, thank you for getting that junk out of my life. Like it was there and it was evil. It was bad. And God is gracious to allow that stuff to come up so that we don't live um, under those lies. So thank you for your time. Here's Jonathan. All right. Man, so much, like I said, so much wisdom there. And I, definitely today we're kind of just bringing, that's why we said you might want to take notes, because there's just a lot of different thoughts that will apply to different people at different places in your life. But it's, it's so important to, to hear what God wants us to hear in these areas. And so what I'm going to try to do is just leave us with, with a few principles that apply to all of us. What Reagan was sharing about applies directly to, to mothers that are, whose primary focus is our children. But actually, those principles apply to all of us in our relationships and the values of our life. And these are principles that how they play out are different. And, and everyone's, and it's, and it's also important not to think that someone's life decisions should look like someone else's. Like, we all have to discern God's will and leading in our own lives. And that looks different. But these are principles that apply to us no matter where we are. So these are principles to, to come into, not the imbalance, but a weekday blessing. Living in the blessing of God, of the, this impossible life. We like to say, God doesn't call us to a difficult life. He calls us to an impossible life. And what we're talking about here, it's impossible. It's the UFO. It's our life being a whole and God's spirit lifting us up and empowering us to live in a way that, that we can't by ourselves. And so the first and most important principle to live out a weekday blessing is to, to find life in our relationship with God. The source of our life 
is our relationship with God. Last week, Elaine Wisdom was talking about you know, what employers are looking for in employees, and one of the things she said was, hey, you need to get up in the morning and re- spend time with God, read the Bible, get something from God, or else you can't live this kind of life. And it's not about a religious duty, but it's about we need a connection with the God of the universe who's good and who has something for us to live this life. I was just, like three days ago, I was in a place of, and this is embarrassing too, like Reagan shared some of her embarrassing stuff, but I was like, this isn't reality, but I was feeling very alone. I was feeling overwhelmed, but mostly alone, like, oh my goodness, like, how do I do this? And, but I got up in the morning and I opened the Bible to Isaiah 51, and it says, look to me, those who seek God. Look to me, look to God. So, okay, yeah, that's, that's a good thing to remember. Look to God. And then it says, remember Abraham, who I called, and Sarah. Abraham was one. He was alone when I called him. But then I called him, and I blessed him. And I made him a mighty nation. And he goes on and talks about the blessings of, of those who look to God and trust him. And I realize, oh, yeah, God, it is. Ultimately, it comes down to my relationship with you. And this is, and I just experiencing that relationship in a fresh way. And it, it changes everything, and it, it gives us the source, the life that we need to live this life. Um, Matthew 11, Jesus was talking about this, and he said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. And I, would, I would suggest this to you. The problem isn't that, we're, that we labor, but that we're heavily burdened with our labor. Because labor is part of what we're called to, but there is an emotional burden that we're not called to. That's the issue. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I love this picture because it's like the picture of two oxen plowing a field or pulling a cart, and they've got this yoke that's connecting them. And Jesus is saying, hey, Though you're, you're weary and heavy burdened, but it's because you got the wrong yoke on it, and you need to get in a yoke with me. That you're, you're doing some work, but it's linked up, where Jesus is the one linked up in this yoke with you. And that is where the real weight is being born. And if we're trying to go through life by ourselves, then we will be weary, we will be heavily burdened. But his yoke, when he is with us, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a weight to it, but it's easy and light, and there's a joy to to it that comes from the relationship with God. So it all comes down to finding life in our relationship with God. Um, Second principle is to do all of our work for God. The verse that we we talked about last week, we're going to probably keep coming back to it over and over again, Colossians 3, 23 and 24. says, whatever you do, whatever you do, so it's your job, school, home, taking care of your house, taking care of your car, serving in the community. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not men. So all of our work is not for us. It's not for other people. It's work for God. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are, cha- is the Lord Christ you are serving. And that changes everything. When we see that our job, even in the drudgery of it, even in the stuff that we don't like, we see, man, this is for God, and this is a holy calling, and God has something bigger in this, then that changes everything. 
Um, third principle for living out a weekday blessing is set boundaries around our work. So work is important, but it's not everything. And it's important to have boundaries. And one of the clearest biblical boundaries is the idea of the Sabbath. We read about that in, in the Ten Commandments in, in Exodus 20, verse 8. Uh, God tells us, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so, God, from the very beginning of creation, God said, hey, there's this pattern that, yes, your work is important, but don't let it consume your life. And so, have a day, one day out of seven, where you rest from your work, and you worship, and spend time with your family in a unique way, and you're refreshed in me, and you, you're resting from your work. That's, that's a boundary, because work is always calling. Work is never done. There's, there's never, it's like, oh, well, I'm, it's all done now, now I can rest. No, that never happens. There have to be boundaries set where, okay, I'm going to step aside from that. And similarly, I love um, Pastor Andy Stanley. He's a pastor, we touched on this principle. He says, you, for him, he talks about, you know, being in pastoral ministry, it's similar to that, like, like all of our jobs, but in, in unique ways, it never ends. And you could have infinite work. And he says, I chose to cheat the church so that I don't cheat my family. And for him, he said, that means, like, I, I say I won't work more than 50 hours. I won't do church stuff for more than 50 hours a week. And after that, I, I, I just draw the line, and I'm there with my family. I'm making sure that I'm cheating the church, what feels like cheating the church, so that I'm putting my family first. And I know, uh, for, as parents, that's a big thing. Like, your work, like the things Reagan said, they, there's so much more tangible to-do list and the things you need to do. And you can come home at the end of the day feeling usually really tired, like, oh, I just want to veg out now. And, but really the attitude we should have is, those of us who have kids and families, like, wow, this is even more important work that I'm coming into now. That I need to be bringing my best self, my best energy, my real life. Do I always do that? Not at all. But that's, that's the goal that we try to set boundaries um, for ourselves. Maybe consider simplifying our lifestyle. You know, a lot of times we are... Uh, our life is dominated by a huge car payment or something. It's like, maybe you could sell that car and get a cheaper car, and that would free up part of your life. We can simplify our lifestyle by having less stuff sometimes. Um, the power of a not-to-do list. I love this, that we, uh, we tend to have to-do lists, but one of the, even a really important skill is to look at that to-do list and say, what are the things I'm doing that I should say no to? And set boundaries on those things and be intentional about what I'm giving my energy to. Um, okay. And then the last thing, last principle here, is what Reagan was talking about, but it applies to all of our work, all of our life. Make your work relational. Whatever our work is, if it's from God, it should be, there should be a relational component to it. We saw the video a couple months ago about the people working in a factory, but realizing that, wow, what we're making helps people's lives. That's what this is about, ultimately. That's why it has value. And in whatever work we have, the, the, the real meaning is, how does this serve people? How do I work with my coworkers? How does this product benefit people's lives? How can I be a team member? Um, this, 
in Ecclesiastes 4, Solomon talks about this. I, just, I love this scripture. He says, Again I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. So that was what was meaningless. He was working, but it was by himself. There were no relationships. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. A miserable business. And when our labor is all about the task, and it's all about us, it's burdensome, toilsome. But when we get a heart for people and are being intentional relationally in what we're doing, then it brings life to it. This, the passage goes on. This is a scripture that's often read at marriages. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. They're in our labor, it's better to be about relationships. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And I love what Reagan said about getting beyond just the economic transaction mindset that's so pervasive and becoming more covenantal, more relational in our thinking. How does this work in this life impact people? How can I touch lives through what I'm doing? So I want to pray for us, but um, Reagan, why don't you go ahead and come on up. Just want to take a couple minutes and see if there are any questions you all have about this stuff. I know we threw a lot out to you. Yes, there's... That's a great, a great reminder, Karen. Appreciate you saying that. And for those who didn't hear, she was reiterating how important it is for the mom who's at home to get out and have some alone time or me time or friend time away from the kids so you remember who you are and how to think normally. Yeah, good point. And it's great if dads and husbands can help that happen too. Yeah, Dad will be happier if Mom leaves for a little bit. <laughs> Good. Uh, anyone else? Questions? Karen. 
that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I think, I mean, obviously it's a work of the heart that we need to trust God to do in people's hearts. But um, those are tough questions. It depends on the level of relationship you have with the person, what the relationship is, whether it's advice or whether you know, it's, it's a child. There's, there's the sort of, okay, at some point I'm not going to support this process. Um, you need to feel the weight of the economics of needing to, to, to provide for yourself. So it's just, there are a lot of, that's, I think that's a reality. That's, there's wisdom in that. If you don't work, you don't eat. Um, but, yeah, those are my thoughts. Trusting God to change hearts is the, the biggest, thought I, biggest thought I have. But I think sometimes people, there is a reality, because people don't feel, and I don't know who you're thinking about or what the situation, you know, dynamics are. There are a lot of dynamics. But in our culture, I would say, the fact that there is the level of people are taken care of they don't have to feel that weight, and so they don't. Um, the other thing, yeah, that's all I'm going to say for now. Good. Any other questions? All right. Well, good. Well, we are, it's a little different format today, but I think this would be good. There's a lot of, a lot of information, but... It's important that we hear this on a heart level and hear what God wants us to do. And we're going we're gonna to sing one more worship song here this morning. And I just want to encourage you as we do that to be trusting God, to just bring you, okay, God, this is what I need. I, if, if there's one of these areas where I see that I've had a false belief, bring that to God. If there's one principle that, man, I need to apply that in my life and trust God in this way, then this will just be a, really a chance for you to do that. So let's go ahead. And worship team, you can go ahead and come on up and... Let's, let's do that. Let's worship God together and really bring to him the things he has for us.